a good day to get together again. It says in the word that where two or three are gathered, there am I, is what Jesus said. I firmly believe in the gathering of the body of Christ because we receive something from each other when we gather together, regardless of what you hear preached, regardless of what you heard sang, there is nothing like being with the other brothers and sisters of Christ together in the body of Christ. It's just the way it is. It's the best thing ever. Today, we are going to be finishing off our whole series on treasure that you see up on the screen. And we've been talking a lot about money. Now, maybe some of you have um, loved it. Maybe some of you have not liked it. I don't really care. What I care about is, have you been changed? Have you been challenged and changed? Because we are not here to feel good about ourselves. We're here to become what God is calling us to be. We want to be obedient sons and daughters. And on the, on the flip side, we do get to feel good about ourselves. Why? Because we find out how much our Father loves us and how good He is and how much He wants to give to us to affect other people's lives. Today, I want to talk about breaking the curse of poverty. And if there's ever been a more exciting topic, it's surely got to be this one, right? It's not the type of thing you click on like, poverty, let's talk about that thing. It's not the most exciting thing. You don't see the books on the shelves of the stores, which there is no bookshops anymore, but you don't see the books on the shelves of the libraries just lining up how poverty, all things about poverty. No, it's all about wealth and it's all about riches, right? But I want to talk about poverty. About 20 years ago, or more than 20 years ago, there was a photographer who photographed a, a, a young child in Sudan. And if... Uh, if you're, you don't like really looking at this picture, I'm sorry about that, but this is a real picture that was published. It won the Pulitzer Prize, and in 1993, this photographer took a photograph of this young child, a very small girl from Sudan. And when Sudan was going through a famine, <clears throat> she was one who had heard about a tent that had been set up that had food, and so she traveled miles and miles to try and get to that tent. You can see how emaciated she was and how bloated her belly is. And as he was walking along the path, he heard a whimpering in the background and he turned around and he saw this child just bent over from the journey that she had been making to try and get some food and some help. And he knelt down to take a photograph of this child. And as he did so, this very plump vulture landed right behind her. And he stood there for a while wondering, what do I do? Do I interject? Do I not? Do I do, I, do, I, do, I, do, I do something here? <clears throat> And so he just took a photograph and then he waited for a while and he waited for a time for the vulture just to try and leave and it didn't leave. So he just waved his arms and then finally the, the vulture ran away. And he saw the child finally get up and walk towards the tent. And the good news is the child, at least on that day, found some food. But when he brought the, the photograph back and it got published from magazines and newspaper like the New York Times, he actually won a Pulitzer Prize and a discussion was brought forward of why didn't he interject? Why didn't he do something about this? One year later, this guy committed suicide because he, left a, he actually left a note describing why he had committed suicide. And it was because he said, I can't handle and cope with the pictures and the scenes that I have seen over my life anymore. And it distraught, gave him, uh, he was distraught and it gave him uh, this, this pain inside of his heart that he didn't know what to do with poverty. And oftentimes we are like that. When we look at poverty, 
we look at something that we really can't handle. It's not something that we really want in our lives and we don't know how to, to deal with it because it seems like there is so much poverty that is around. But today I want to look at three different things when it looks in poverty. I want to take us through a short journey of what poverty is in the world. And then I want to talk about what poverty is in our country, the USA. And then I want to talk about what poverty is in our lives. Because it comes down to a, a macro all the way down to a micro. Because at some point we have to ask about, is there poverty in our lives? What is poverty? The World Bank says that poverty is this. Poverty is hunger. Poverty is a lack of shelter. Poverty is being sick and not being able to see a doctor. Poverty is not having access to school and not knowing how to read. Poverty is not having a job. It's fear for the future, living one day at a time. Poverty is losing a child to illness, brought about by unclean water. Poverty is powerlessness, lack of representation, and freedom. That's quite a, a long a, a, a description of what poverty is. And maybe you can identify yourself maybe in one of those things even right now. I don't have a job, so does that mean I am poor? But really on the, 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 on the, on the, on the scale of things, if a person is all of these things, they are truly, truly the poorest of the poor. Yet I can honestly say if we look at ourselves that most of us in here don't really match this entire description. Gary Haugen, you probably heard him heard me mention his name before. He's the, the, the founder of IJM, International Justice, Justice Mission that my wife works for, that fights human trafficking. He had probably one of the best TED Talks I have ever heard of. You've heard of TED, T-E-D.com. And he had a TED Talk that was called The Hidden Reason for Poverty and the World Needs to Address Now. And as he was talking about this topic of poverty, he was asking the question of where does poverty come from? And he told a story about a woman that he had met in Africa called Venus. And he went to meet with her and be with her and ask her about poverty and how life has affected her. <clears throat> and, she, and he saw what she used to have and what she does have right now. And she had some level of wealth, but she was losing that wealth and had lost most of that wealth. And he said, why have you lost your wealth? Why are you poor? Because she had a home, she had a stall in the marketplace, and she had a little piece of land as well that produced the goods that she could feed her child and what she could sell as well. But her problem wasn't that she no longer had wealth because, it was, it, 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 because she didn't have an opportunity, but the reason why she didn't have wealth anymore was because of her neighbor, Brutus. Brutus knew that she had lost her husband and therefore she had no protection. So he took the opportunity to steal from her to steal her crops, to steal her land, to steal her home, to steal her business, and she became poor because someone else took it away from her. And Gary was going on about it, and he said, I looked at this whole thing, and I asked the question, why is it that people are poor in the world? Because I have been donating to poor children. I have I've been donating to charities. I've been digging wells. I've been doing all these things. And he said this, that none of those approaches of sponsoring children, funding microloans, and supporting generous aid addresses the problem of why people are in poverty. Why are they in poverty? His talk was actually based off of his book that I highly recommend, and it's called The Locust Effect, because he said that the wealth of nations, the wealth of the poorest of the poor are being taken away like locusts when they come in and they decimate harvests, and in one fell swoop, it is just all gone. 
He even gives this statistic that says this, that sexual abuse and domestic abuse account for more deaths of girls and women between the ages of 15 and 44 than malaria, car accidents, and war combined. That's a shocking statistic. Are you figuring out why people are poor? The reason why they're poor is the cause of poverty in the world is actually primarily violence, he concluded. I'd never heard of this before. It changed my thinking of understanding, yes, I know there are many reasons of opportunities, of famines, of, of you could call global warming, you can call political upheaval, all these different reasons that we assign to why people are poor. But if we can't fix violence or lawlessness in the world, we will never be able to have any effect on poverty. Because regardless of if we keep sending aid or we keep trying to train their politics or we try to keep uh, uh, helping them to, to have more resources or have more education, if violence and lawlessness still exist, it will still always be stolen from the poor. Jesus even said this. He said, the poor you will always have with you. So on a, on a macro level, on an international level, violence is probably the root cause for why poverty still exists in this world, even though we've been fighting it for decades. So then what is the reason for why there would be any poverty in America? Maybe some of us think that there is poverty in America, but if we actually look and compare ourselves against the, the rest of the world in third world countries, are we really poor? We could say, well, based on that measure, no, we're not really poor. But the fact is, I think we do believe that there are some forms or some level of poverty, whether you acknowledge it or don't acknowledge it, whether you think it's a large amount or a small amount, there are still some levels of poverty in this country. We can always tell that there's poverty in our country because there's certain parts of the country we will not live in. There are certain parts of this town we shall not live in. Why? Because they show the effects of poverty in that part of town. Violence, drugs, theft, the lack of security, the lack of jobs. That's a description of poverty. So I asked this question, okay, then if poverty exists, then what are the reasons for poverty? There are two main reasons that I've discovered that are cited for why poverty exists in America. And I'm interested to, for you to discover or to understand what side do you fall on when it comes to describing why poverty exists in America. And the first one is this. Poverty exists because of inequality. Inequality is when things are not distributed properly. Inequality is when things are not fair. In fact, you hear your children saying it. That's not fair. They're basically saying there is inequality in my life. And if you want to find evidence that describes inequality in the scriptures, we can look towards Proverbs. Proverbs is the, the source and the book that we go to, the readings that we go to, to describe what wisdom is and what wealth is versus poverty, what's good versus bad. That's what wisdom is all about. That's what Proverbs is all about. And Proverbs describes what inequality is in three different ways. The first one is this. It says it's corruption. In Proverbs 11.1, 1, it says, dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but an accurate weight is his delight corruption, where someone knows how to milk the system or they know how to dupe the system to be tipped in their favor from politician to anyone who is a poor person to a rich person. Anybody can be a part of corruption. Not paying taxes that you owe is corruption. 
If you legally don't pay taxes, then it's not corruption. It's legal. But if you're meant to do it, it's corruption. If you take from someone else when you're legally meant to do it, it's corruption. The second description of, that the Bible offers us of inequality is greed. Proverbs eleven twenty six say that people curse anyone withholding grain, but blessing is on the head of one who dispenses it. That's talking about someone who is very wealthy that knows how to hold on to their masses of wealth and withhold it from other people until the time is just right where they can push the prices up and get a much higher value and a much higher price for what they own in a usury type of way. This is how it's describing it. But the Bible doesn't say that's illegal. It says that it is a curse. A curse is a social, emotional, spiritual, moral, physical disintegration of our lives and the fabric of our community. Another description the Bible gives for inequality is injustice. Proverbs 13, 23 says, the fallow field of the poor yields much fruit, but it is swept away by injustice. Maybe many of us here this morning, you've experienced what injustice is because of your race, because of your creed, because of your color, because of your sexuality, because of your, of your gender. Many of us have experienced what inequality is. I think probably everybody has experienced it, but we've all experienced it in different volumes in our lives, some more than others. And if you've experienced a lot of inequality in your life, then it's easy for us to look to the scriptures and draw the reason for why poverty exists in our country from the reason of inequality. It's not fair because someone else is evil and they're stealing from me. They're sweeping away my wealth and my opportunity away from me. And the second reason for why poverty exists in America is because of people's poor personal choices, poor personal choices. And if I look to the scriptures, I can see that there is actual evidence to support that poor personal choices are a real thing. It's when people say their reason why they're poor is because they don't work hard enough. One person says, it's because I have inequality in my life, but someone else looks at the same person and says, no, it's because you don't work hard enough. Here's the first description of what the Proverbs say of what poor personal choices are. It says, it's laziness. Proverbs 10.4 says this, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. The third reason, the third description it has for poor personal choices is lethargy. 10.5 says, he who gathers a crop in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. If we don't know how to manage our time and we don't know how to turn up on time, for appointments that we have made a commitment to, you have lethargy in your life. You can say it's because you're too busy. Rubbish, I have 24 hours, you've got 24 hours. We've all got the same amount of time on our hands. It's what we do with that time. I know very busy people that are very good at turning up on time. If you want to be wealthy with your boss, turn up before you're meant to be there. The third thing that it gives us is the reason of sin. Proverbs 13, 21 says that misfortune, another word for that is poverty. Poverty pursues sinners, but prosperity rewards the righteous. 
I wonder what reason you give when you're looking at poverty in America, when you look at the reason of why there are bad things happening in our country or why your neighbor is not succeeding as well. I lived in Lockhart for 13 years. Believe me, I saw poverty. I saw people not looking after things that they could have looked after. I saw people maybe not looking after things because they weren't capable of looking after it. But we all have reasons in our minds of why people are the way they are, why poverty exists, and why even poverty even affects our lives. Are you drawing to the side of inequality or you draw to the side of poor personal choices? You see, the fact is, Scripture actually gives wisdom to support both of those reasons. How can they both exist at the same time? But this is why, and this is maybe my personal opinion right now, you're free to disagree with me at any given time and test everything I say, but this is why I believe that capitalism isn't the final solution for our country. Neither is redistribution through socialism the final solution for our country. Why? Because the problem is not external. It is not just the relationships we have. It is not just political, but it's actually internal. What accounts for the poverty then that is in us? Because at the end of the day, poverty begins with us before it becomes a community thing, a country thing, or even a worldwide thing. Because if I measure myself against the world stage of poverty, I'm not poor. None of us in here are. We're all sitting in here safe. We're all in air conditioning. We've all been well fed. We've had a nice cup of coffee and we've got running water. We're not poor compared to the worst countries in the world, compared to the worst neighborhoods in this country. I don't think there's anyone in this room that is poor, so we can't really say we're poor, right? But are we poor? Maybe I should put it like this. If we're not poor, why is the issue of money such a problem to most of us? If we're not poor, why is the issue of money such a problem to us. Did you know this? That the conflict of money is one of the top reasons for divorce. Not the lack of money or the volume of money because rich people get as divorced as much as poor people. It's all about the conflict of money. Here's an interesting fact for me as a pastor. Here's an interesting thing. Money problems are the top request for prayer cited by some of the largest churches in America that keep statistics. Money problems. Pastor, can you pray for me for money? Can you pray for me about my job? That's not something I'm trying to criticize you for. That I don't want you to ask. I want you to ask for help. But my question is, is why are we as Christians who are not living by the standards of the world, but living by the standards of the kingdom of God, why are we still wrestling with poverty? Why are we still wrestling with the fact that we've actually probably made more money than we've ever made in our lives and we still think we're strapped? We still think we don't have enough to give. We still don't feel like we're powerful enough to come up with solutions for the issues that are in our own families, our own communities, or in our own country. Why are we wrestling with the issue of money? Well, we have issues, all right. It's simply because it's in our hearts. The world measures things by external measurements. We have to measure things by internal measurements. So I've talked about the world poverty. I've talked about poverty in our country. But now let's talk about our poverty. Because it all begins with us. Where does our poverty come from? 
I believe there are three curses that we have to break in our lives if we're going to be rid of poverty in our lives. Three curses that we have to break in our lives if we're going to be rid of poverty controlling our lives. Number one, we must break the curse of silence. We must break the curse of silence. John 10 verse 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I was studying this scripture years ago and I was thinking, this doesn't make sense because thieves don't kill, murderers kill, right? Why would Jesus say that the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy? If he had just said the thief comes to steal, I got you, Jesus, know what you're talking about. No, he says kill and destroy. So the more I looked into it, the more I realized he was actually referring to sheep. When Jesus saying, he's saying that if, if someone wants to steal a sheep, that thief is going to steal and kill and destroy the sheep. Why? Because when the burglar, the rustler, the cattle rustler climbs into the pen, right, and takes the sheep, what do you think the sheep's going to do? Right? It's going to go, yeah, yeah, right? It's going to start reacting. This is painful. This is horrible. I don't want this anymore. So what he has to do is come quietly up to the sheep and he either cuts its neck or it breaks its neck. Then he lifts the sheep up, puts it on his shoulder, and then he walks away. That's why Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. What he must do is silence the sheep in order to steal it away. I believe this is what the enemy has done in our lives. And we have convinced ourselves that this is machuism. This is, this is what strength is, that you don't talk about your problems. You don't let it out whatsoever. And so what we do is we stick it down, we push it down, and we keep it inside ourselves. But we are still in money problems because we don't talk about it. Silence equals isolation. And let me tell you, isolation is when we stop confessing what's going on in our lives. No, we might complain about our problems. We might complain that I don't have enough money. We might complain that there's problems in the world. And I'll complain about your problems, but I won't confess my sin. I won't confess my problems in an accountability matter. Do you see the difference there? And so speaking up is what puts us into a place where we can be connected to one another. But when we are not connected, when we are disconnected, then we are in the dark. We are feeling our way through life and we're trying to figure out. We go from one problem to the next, from one check to the next check. Not really getting to the place where you can see what's coming, where you feel like you're prepared for the future. Hosea says this in verse, chapter 4, verse 6. He says, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Where does knowledge come from? Knowledge comes from other sources, right? From the Word of God, from other people, from the heart of God. That's where knowledge comes from. Knowledge comes through education. And yet it would seem that we would rather stick with what we already know and do the exact same problem. Why do we stay in silence? Well, I'll tell you why we stay in silence. The reason is, is because of the second curse that I believe that we have to break. The second curse that we have to break is the curse of shame. Now, may, let me explain this to you. Because over the years, I've had the privilege of being a part of people's lives. And many of you have you know, had the privilege to, 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 to walk with you, to counsel you, to coach you, to help you, to pray with you, to advise you. 
And many of you have actually confessed your worst fears, your worst difficulties, your worst challenges in hopes that you will actually get some help to figure out the next steps forward. But the thing that I find that takes people out is that once they really make themselves open and vulnerable, then they walk away oftentimes with shame in their heart. And it becomes like a burden on top of their shoulders, a different burden now. The burden before was silence, but now the burden is turned into shame because they're concerned of what people really think about them. In Genesis, when God was with Adam and Eve and everything was perfect and whole and holy, he told them, don't eat from that one tree. I don't want you to eat from that tree whatsoever. Don't touch it. Don't taste it. Well, you can maybe touch it, but don't, don't eat it whatsoever. And so they decided to go against the way of God and they decided to just do it themselves and just eat and just go ahead and do that. And in Genesis chapter 3, catching up at verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Note that word. They made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Why did Adam and Eve make coverings for themselves? <clears throat> we know the answer to that. It says because they were naked. So they made coverings for themselves. So they put, they put these leaves together and they were covered up. But when God came walking into the garden, why didn't they stand there and go, what's up God, how are you doing? You all right? Things good with you? No, it says they hid. Why did they have to hide if they were already covered? Hello? Why would they need to go and hide if they already had them set? Was it just because it was kind of wasn't fitting right? It was a little too short? It's kind of like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think I don't, it's a little short. I think I'm not really comfortable in these clothes, right? How many of you women change your clothes three times, four times, five times before you come to church? Hello? <clears throat> Anyone? Because you just don't feel comfortable in it. It's like it doesn't, just doesn't feel right today, right? It might fit perfectly, but today it doesn't feel right. Men are like, is it clean? <laughs> That's the difference. But they decided to hide from God. Coverings are what we use, our wealth, our power, and our influence to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. Covering, in a sense, wealth, in a sense, can, 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 can do a, a, a fine uh, job of covering over things inside of us that make us feel both significant and secure. It's the two things that I believe that we as humans are always trying to look for. I'm trying to make myself feel significant. Okay, now I have a nice car. The last car was fine. It ran okay, but now I have the car that I really want and will describe why the car is so wonderful and why it's actually a good purchase and why it was a good investment. But the fact is, it's because it makes you feel good about yourself. Now, I'm into cars, and I love driving fast cars and all that type of stuff, right? But why do we hate driving bad, crappy trucks down the road, right, that, that you bought from road? I'm kidding. That, 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 you, that are not, you know, driving down the road. very. Why do we not like those types of things? Because it doesn't make us look significant. Because it looks like that our station in life is only to shop at Walmart. We can't go beyond that, right? We can't, we can't do something greater. We can't be thought of something as something better. We're only measuring ourselves by how we feel about our significance. Or maybe we use wealth and we use our positions and our authorities and our power 
to cover over the issue of security. I need to feel secure for the future. I've got enough saved up. I think I've got enough. I can retire. We're ahead of the curve. We're not, we're not living check to check. And we're looking for security in our lives. Get rid of all these fancy trucks. Get rid of all these fancy cars. Get rid of all the, the nice houses and stuff. Let's just live on the minimal amount that we can so that we are secure. I wonder which one you tend to swing towards or maybe you go back and forward between it or maybe your spouse is one thing and you're the other thing and that's where the strife and conflict comes from. The fact is it still comes down to we're trying to cover over our shame. And he said, I was afraid because I was naked. I'm afraid of what others will think about me. I'm afraid that people would judge me. I'm afraid that I'll be embarrassed. I'm afraid I won't have enough. Years ago, I remember telling one of my mentors about the, the, the financial problem that I was in and I'd been in it for a while and I was asking for help. What should I do? Should I? And he asked me this one question. He said, why didn't you ask me before now? And I really didn't have a good answer. maybe I was busy, maybe I just didn't realize how bad it was, maybe I'm in this debt, and oh, I didn't realize I had $10,000 worth of debt. How did that get there? No, no, we all know how we got there. We all come up with these reasons of why we got to where we're at, but the fact is, we didn't speak up because I think it's a lot to do with our shame. And I felt shameful. I didn't want him to know that I wasn't as smart as I looked because I think I look really smart. I wasn't as smart as I thought. I'm hoping that people think about me. We cover over these things and we stick with our old habits that keep us grounded and rooted in fear and doing the same old things that we have always ever done. The day has to come when we have to finish that. The day has to come when we decide we stop and we change the way that we speak to our spouse. We change the way that we think about money. We change the way that we think about the future. But that means that you have to change. And it leads me to the last reason I think that most of us probably struggle with. And that is that we have to break the curse of pride. We have to break the curse of pride. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. Did you see how that went? It didn't say you feel ashamed, so now you're prideful. It says that pride comes and now you feel shame. Now you feel disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. We probably all heard the old phrase that's actually from Proverbs chapter 16. It says pride comes before a, we all know it. Pride comes before a fall. You see, the issue isn't that you can't do something. The issue is you won't do something. Let me say again, the issue isn't that you can't do something. The issue is you won't do something. You've told yourself you can't. You told yourself you don't have an opportunity. You told yourself you don't know what to do, but you can do something. Look around you. You've got brothers and sisters that can pray for you, that can help you. You have a church. You have a family. We live in a land of wealth. There are many opportunities that we can use to reach out to be done with the curse of poverty in our lives, but we have to break the curse of pride first of all. Interesting thing is in Proverbs 13 verse 10, it says this, that where there is strife, there is pride. If you have strife in your marriage, in your family, if you have it in your business, if you have it with your boss, if you have it internally with even your past, it comes and is only empowered 
because pride is putting fuel upon that fire. That curse must be broken if we're going to be rid of this strife. I'm hoping that today you're not going to go out of here thinking, I have all the answers now in my life. I don't want us to end this whole series with like, yes, we're now richer, we're smarter because everything that the pastor said. I don't want you to carry me out on your shoulders and go, we are led by this great and wise fellow because you're not. You're led by someone who struggles with silence, with shame, and with pride himself, just as you do as well. And I want us to end this whole month and this whole series and today, I want to end it with repentance. Because repentance is the thing that breaks the back of curses. Jesus became poor so that we might be rich. We don't have to be poor because he did it for us, the scriptures say. He took on the curses of silence. He took on the curses of being rejected by his father. He took on the curses of shame when he was naked on the cross. He took on the curse of pride when he allowed himself to be broken. Can't we too be broken of those curses? Why are we the fertile ground for those to keep existing in our lives? Then we pass it on to our children. In this church, once and for all, can we break these curses so we can see the kingdom of God come through us for the sake of this community and this world that has a much worse standard of poverty than we have ever had? The hope of the nations is Jesus Christ, I believe. And we are the ones who are meant to carry the message of Jesus Christ, that there is freedom in Jesus. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he told his disciples. But he didn't finish the sentence there. He said, but I have come to give life and life to the fool. It's got to start with us. Today must be the day when we start to change our behaviors because you can't change your outcome without changing your behaviors, but you can't change your behaviors without changing your heart first. Poverty starts in our heart first of all. So today, I'm gonna end this whole series, this whole sermon, this whole day, this whole month with leading us in a prayer of repentance. I'm gonna invite you to stand right now and I'm gonna give you some instructions of what we're gonna do. It's easy for me to tell you, hey, if you want to come forward and repent, then come forward. If you want to repent of pride, then come forward. And for those of you that don't come forward or don't think you should come forward, what you do is you'll stand there and go, well, because I didn't go forward, does that mean I'm prideful now? Nah. I'm going to lead you all in prayer. We're going to say the same prayer. But for those of you that just know fine well, I'm the one that doesn't talk. I'm the one who's just ashamed of where we are. I'm the one who's probably just too arrogant to ask for help. I'm inviting you for the opportunity to come forward and just make a public display of yourself. You're stepping out and saying, I want to be done with that. I want to confess to those curses in my life and I want to be broken of it. And for the rest of you, we're all going to pray together. You're not any less or not, not a part of this, but if you don't think you should come forward, that's fine. But for those of you that just feel like, I need to come forward. I got to make a public display of this. 
go ahead and do it now. Let's come forward. Make a public display of what needs to be broken. Make a public display of breaking the back of this curse in our lives. Come on in, press in, press in. Come on in. Good job, excellent, well done. Today, I want you to make a decision to repent, but repentance has the demand that you now have to change your behavior. You now have to talk about your inadequacies with money, your fears, your challenges of, I don't know how to talk about this. I don't know how to admit this. I want you to get it out. Share it with your leaders. Go to your small group. Share it with someone who's wise. Share it with a pastor. Share it with your friend, but get it out. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to bless every person who's here right now. I thank you, Lord, that from the richest to the poorest person in this church, for those who have the least amount of money to those who have the most amount of money in this church, we are all equal brothers and sisters before the Heavenly Father. And I want you to repeat after me, my Father in heaven, I am thank you that you have saved me, that through your Son I am now rich because of what he has done on the cross for me. But I am still finding old curses that are filling up my life. And I want to break the back of curses in my life. I want to break the back of curses in my life. Come on, raise your voices. I want to break the back of curses in my life. And so I start with repenting for being silent, for covering my shame, for hiding away, for being too proud to press into you. And I break it now with my own words. In the name of Jesus, I break those curses. And Father, I speak a blessing of a returned son and daughter into the kingdom of God. That the, the compartmentalization of our hearts sometimes being in the house of God, but our money in our bank account is outside the money, outside the, 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 the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus, I pray that it would all be brought into the city of refuge. That it would all be brought into the fortress of Jesus Christ. That you will find a freedom, a freedom in your emotions of what you think and feel about yourself and your money and who you can trust. Because, Father, we know fine well that you are not done with allowing us to go through difficult times. You're not done with letting us go through issues where we are challenged and broken once again. We know you're not going to make things easy for us. But we know fine well we can be at peace in the name of Jesus. Because we trust our good, good Father. Father, help us to remind ourselves where we're in that moment of fear and shame to come out from the bush and shout out, Dad, I'm right here. Daddy, I'm right here. You don't even have to shout for me. You don't have to look for me, Father, because I'm right here. I need your help, Dad. I need you, Father. I did wrong. 
I went my own way. I've been silent. I want to run back to you, Father. Run to your Father. Run to your Father. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon every one of you. And all God's people say, amen. Let's give a huge thanks to our Father right now. Come on. Let's give a huge thanks to our Father right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord.